0: Welcome to the Intelligent Squared podcast. This week's episode comes from our recent event at the Saatchi Gallery, Me, Myself and I,
1: Self-Expression in the Digital Age. A panel from the worlds of cultural criticism, social media and neuroscience came together to discuss the wide-reaching impact of selfie culture on the world today. This event was produced in partnership with the Saatchi Gallery and Huawei. We hope you enjoy listening.
2: Thank you ever so much. I'm really delighted to be your host this evening. I'm a broadcaster and journalist. And what fascinating times we live in. As we just heard, self-portraiture is nothing new, nor is the self-obsession that we see today. In fact, anthropologists argue that that is a critical element of human development and human evolution. Nevertheless, in recent years and at breakneck speed, we've seen these twin developments: the smartphone and social media. And together they've created an extraordinary cultural phenomenon, the selfie. And whether we like it or not, it is changing the very way that we view our society before our very eyes. The term selfie was entered into the Oxford English Dictionary in 2013. Just two years later, it was reported that more people were dying taking selfies than were being attacked by sharks. So there you are. And we literally upload Hundreds of billions of these things every single year. This amazing exhibition, which I hope you've all had the chance to have a look at, explores that and it reminds us that this has unleashed incredible creative self-expression, all sorts of potential for making art. But what is driving that mania and what effect is selfie culture having on us? both as individuals and also as a society? Well, those are just two of the questions, hopefully among many more, that we'll be exploring tonight. And I'm really delighted and thank you to Intelligence Square and Huawei and the Saatchi Gallery for convening such a stellar panel this evening. On my left, we have Will Storr. He is an award-winning journalist and novelist. He's written for the Sunday Times Magazine, The Guardian Weekend, and The New Yorker. And he's written a fantastic new book called Selfie, How we became so self-obsessed and what it's doing to us it is on sale in the gallery bookshop and it's a fantastic read slightly terrifying as well but in a good way (laughs) Um, then we have Sarah Diefenbach and we're very grateful to Sarah she's come all the way from Munich just this afternoon to be with us on the panel this evening She's Professor of Market and Consumer Psychology at the Ludwig Maximilians University in Munich. And among her areas of research are the side effects of technology use on happiness and the psychological effects of social media on our happiness and well-being. So some fascinating research there. Then we have Pandora Sykes. She is a broadcaster and podcast host and journalist. Until recently, she was at the Sunday Times Style magazine as wardrobe mistress, but she also hosts the fantastic weekly podcast The High Low. That's a mixture of pop culture and news and it's uh, absolutely top of my podcast list every week. So Lovely to have you Pandora. And finally last but not least we have Alex Lambrecht. He is a leading fashion lifestyle and documentary photographer. He's known for his black and white street style documentary photographs which he applies to fashion, advertising and editorial campaigns. He's also photographic director of The Fall magazine and a regular contributor to Leica's magazine, Leica Photography International. So welcome to you all, and thank you very much uh, indeed for being here. I want to start by asking you a quick question, each of you. Will, first of all, is selfie culture anything new?
3: Uh, Not really. I mean, obviously this exhibition, this amazing exhibition, begins in the 16th century. But for me, the story really begins um, 2,500 years ago in ancient Greece, which is where the kind of Western personality came into being and it's where this idea of Western individualism sort of really came up. So that's where I'd kind of pin the beginning of that story. Excellent. Well, we'll be talking more about
2: that shortly. Sarah, though, you've, uh, in your research, identified something very fascinating called the selfie paradox. Briefly, what is it?
4: Well, the selfie paradox, it describes the um, ambivalent attitude towards selfies in our society. And, um, yeah, the seemingly contradictory finding that um, if you ask people whether they like the many selfies on social media, um, most of them... 82% we found say um, they would love to see more usual pictures and less selfies in social media. But at the same time everybody is contributing and 77% are regularly taking selfies. So this may be, yeah, look paradox, but my research then explores the psychological reasons behind it and I think I can tell more about this later,
2: what Maybe the reason for such findings. And we're looking forward to hearing it. Then, human beings, very contradictory animals. Pandora, perhaps you can tell us: is there a conflict between feminism and selfie culture?
1: Nice light question.
2: Um, <laughs> just you know,
1: <laughs> in a sentence or two, if you will. I think it's. I think the difficulty when you're talking about um, anything relating to feminism now is that there is no fixed defini- definition as bell hooks said it is everything and nothing um so it does depend i think on whether or not you see feminism as a collective goal whether or not you should be working towards something that benefits all women or whether or not you see it as an individual empowerment and choice if it's the former, then I would argue that it could be um, fairly powerful for a young girl, particularly a teenager, to be the architect of her own image in the public forum, which is not something she has much control over in the rest of society. But on the other hand, um, if you're taking 400 selfies a day, you don't have time to do anything else, feminist or otherwise. Um, I think that a lot of the time, selfies... Um, it, for people to say that taking a selfie or a nude selfie, which is, you know, a nudie. We've even seen a bushy. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I have. I, I'm um, not sure that one's entered the Oxford English Dictionary <laughs> yet. But if Amber, Rose, the space. if Amber Rose has her way, it will. Um, a lot of these women are saying that, you know, this is my feminist right... I don't think selfies are inherently feminist or um, anti-feminist, but I think there's a lot of interesting debate in between. There certainly is, and we will be coming back to that very question. And Alex, finally, technology
2: has developed so quickly in the last Mm. few years. Anyone can now be an artist, but what does that mean for selfies as a legitimate form of photographic art, and how do we take it to the next level?
5: Okay, another light question, Um, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Well, I, I, there's a couple of words that you mentioned. Uh, let's say at the artist and the artwork and taking it to that level, it all comes down to the message. And I think some, one thing that separates the selfie from other forms of photography is the, that it, it almost inherently implies that we're going to share it with someone, that it's been mm. taken for a purpose of not to look... I'm not, I'm not so sure. Maybe maybe a lot of people take selfies to look at themselves and, and, and ponder it. But it, to me, it appears that perhaps they're being taken to be shared either globally amongst friends or like nudies with your partner or... or I don't et I Well, I think, I well. <laughs> well, um, I think that there's, um, there's something there. But the most important part in coming back to art and why we take photos, there are, there are two messages there. Firstly, as a photographer, whether it's going to be a selfie or it's an image of a landscape or, or something or other, there's a message and... Inherently, in becoming a photographer and taking a message, you're implying that you have a message that is worthy of um, adoration or your message is worthy of um, raising a question, that you, you have an opinion that matters. And when you're taking a selfie, you're also raising a question, you're saying something. So there's a, there's a kind of... An, uh, the message is the most important part, and I think that's what art comes down to. Art is really... Well, It's a subjective um, argument I could have probably in this gallery for days. Um, It really comes down to what is the message? What's the importance of the message? Is there one? Is it going to be Zen art where it's, I'm just going to let it develop itself or do I have something that I want to say? So. Well
2: that's fascinating and it comes right back to one of the central premises of your book, Will, which was that for years and years human beings were dependent on their own sense of self-reflection to work out who they were and what life was all about. And now we are hopelessly <laughs> dependent on how we see ourselves reflected back. Less I think therefore I am and more I am what I think others think I am.
3: Ah uh, yes. Yeah, it's getting yeah, very yeah. complicated. <laughs> is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean that's 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 a really interesting idea from um, psychology. Uh, It's this guy called Coolidge came up with this idea that, um, it's and it speaks to kind of how we, how our brain, how our sense of self comes to decide who we are, what are we like, how do we, you know, how do we come to a judgment about our own worth, and and that's the idea is that uh, we are what we think other people think we are. It's a really powerful idea. So. We aren't what we think we are. We aren't what other, what, what other people think we are. We are what we imagine they think of us. So if we imagine, so if we put a selfie up on Instagram and everybody tells us we're wonderful and special, that is to an extent, <laughs> but to an extent, going to make us feel that we are wonderful and special just in that moment. I'm sure Sarah's got some more to say about, about that subject. So that, that, that's a really sort of core mm-hmm. idea from, from the psychological literature about how we understand ourselves. And I think it's really important way of, sort of understanding why selfie-taking can be such a almost addictive um, mm. activity.
2: And the technology obviously enables that in the way that you know, Van Gogh did not have the possibility yeah. when he yeah. painted those self-portraits. Presumably, he still wanted that to have an effect on his viewers and some way, in some way be reflected back on him, but well, I was he would think, never
3: have known. I was thinking, as Alex was talking about what is art, what is photography, I suppose one definition of art is it's the expression of an emotion or an idea through another particular medium. And, and I would question, I would imagine that Van Gogh had some sort of really deep and interesting and um, kind of profound and powerful ideas he was trying to express through his painting that maybe aren't being expressed through, I don't know, Kim Kardashian's latest. Bummy, what's it called? A selfie. <laughs> <Belfie, laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know.
2: <laughs> We've had the bushy. We've had to mention the selfie yeah.
5: before too long. But can we just stop on that point for a second? Yeah. Um, if you think Van Gogh it would take him maybe weeks or months to create this selfie, um, and then it would take months or years for anybody to actually view it, mm-hmm. whereas now we can take twenty-five selfies a mm-hmm. minute. Frequency. We pick which one we like. We can post something, we get a negative reaction, quickly re- delete it, <laughs> post yeah. a new one. So we're constantly reinventing ourselves, whereas maybe Van Gogh just was himself for a much longer period. Yeah, and
3: fundamentally, (laughs) one of the things we're looking at—I mean, when I was doing the research for Selfie, there was this this very famous psychologist called Professor Bruce Hood, and he said to me, "You know, you know, what are we doing as human beings in our adult lives? Once we've got enough money to look after our families and make a living, what we're just out doing there is trying to get validation. You know, that's why we write books. That's why we—I hope not. Yeah, but 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 on on that very basic (laughs) level, I mean, Van Gogh, Kim Kardashian."
2: Well, and also, the, you know, artists that create self-portraits throughout their career. I was looking at one of the, the, the installations upstairs, and it's, you know, a photographer who's taken a picture of himself every single day and watching his face change over. The, I mean, in some ways, it's hard to argue that's any different from Rembrandt doing a series of self-portraits over the course uh, of his life. It comes
5: back to the message, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are they showing this to show other people, hey, I'm a normal person, so are you, and I'm trying to connect with you that way? Or are they taking the photo and saying, look at how much better looking I think than I am and how much I need your attention? Yeah. It's the message, not the actual piece of so art. More important, and, and you could have the exact same photo with 25,000 different messages. Well, so. well,
2: We'll definitely talk about the difference between <laughs> selfies that are made to make other people feel bad about themselves <laughs> and selfies are made to make other people feel good about themselves and how that gets reflected about. But this leads so perfectly to you, Sarah, because you briefly talked about the selfie paradox, the idea that 90% of people don't like selfies, but when they do it, they're doing it in a self-ironic way, or they're doing it in somehow a witty and cool way. Uh, Break break it down for us a bit more. That research is is fascinating, because there's also revelation in terms of what people think they are when they put selfies out, that they think they're better looking than people who don't take selfies or...
4: Yeah, exactly. And I think it's really related to this message aspect because what we did was that we asked people to judge their own selfies and other selfies. And what we found is that when you talk about other selfies, um, the majority, uh, like 90%, says it 's self presentational it 's narcissistic, and when you judge your own selfies you say it's funny self ironic
6: <laughs> authentic so
4: <laughs> you really see the what what you think your selfie might yeah, look for the others it 's not the impression you make and I, in, in psychology, there are um, some theories that can explain this kind of behavior very well, like the self-serving bias, which means we uh, construct stories about, around our behavior that flatter us, and so you have a good justification for taking the <laughs> selfie. And of course, it's also important that this is a, a non-conscious process, so in the end, you, you can never tell what is a true motivation behind the selfie, and I think that 's also some of the magic of the selfie be- because yeah it 's a playful way of self presentation and,
2: and that 's a nice positive way of looking at it and There are yeah. clearly positive things about this mode mm-hmm. of self expression yeah. you know t- often in the media we read these stories about how You know, there's anxiety levels are on the rise and self-harm levels are on the rise and all sorts of horrors for millennials, centennials, Generation Z, I think it's called. I'm really showing my age there, but I think it's Generation Z. Um, But but where do you guys stand on that? Because clearly there are lots of positive things that can come from this and an awful lot of negative things. Pandora, what have you seen along your travels? Being the youngest person on this panel, I think, Working among different generations.
1: Um, uh, what, sorry,
2: what exactly is the... Do question? you... Overwhelmingly, do you think it's having a positive a effect positive on a generation for whom it is just absolutely self-nature?
1: I think it's quite hard to isolate selfies because they are part... For me, I think they're just part of popular culture. They're, they're part of social commentary. They, they don't exist just on their own, they are interwoven, I think, into lots of, lots of different aspects. Um, I spoke to some teenagers recently, and I was more perturbed by the fact that they were retouching their selfies than I was the fact that they were taking selfies. And I think that comes from the fact that we're seeing a very different kind of female aspiration, I don't think that's even quite made sense, to emerge in the 90s when I was young it was Kate Moss it was natural and knotty hair and, and now what teenagers aspire to look like is something that is very modified so I would, be, I, I would be more scared by that than what they're necessarily doing on the surface but I think it's interesting what you were saying about the message being different, because whilst I do think context is very important, and obviously mm-hmm. there is nuance, when you are looking at a selfie, you're not seeing context. So when someone like Emily Ratiowski, who's a model, who has spoken a lot about why she can be a sexual and a serious being, and she can share a nude picture, and she's, still, you know, she's a feminist, and this is a feminist act... Um, And I have no doubt that her intention is a feminist one. But I think when you're looking at a selfie, you're not seeing context, motivation, intention. You are just seeing the sum of a woman's parts. And I take selfies myself. I I don't deem them inherently good or inherently bad. But I think to suggest that a selfie is not literally showing a woman as a body, which is what she has historically struggled with, for our entire female existence Mm -hmm. with is, is to perhaps give a little bit more credibility to your viewer because someone scrolling through on Instagram, for example, is not thinking what was going through their head right now, where were they taking it, why were they taking it, they're just going, boobs. And
2: quite often that's what I was thinking. they're thinking really nice, really enormous boobs, and I don't have those. Therefore, I can now well, feel
1: really bad about that's myself. That's a whole different thing. And I was really interested in your book, Will, to hear how you linked selfies mm-hmm. to self-esteem and mental health. Yeah, it's really sad. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's really. I mean, you, you open with suicide.
2: I it's a very it, No, dark it's not
3: really a vote winner, is it? We've got people killing themselves. Yeah, I was like, Are you sure about this? I mean, but I think it's important because because it, essentially it's called selfie because it's also a book about the self. And I, I, for me, a really is somebody who is kind of with suicidal ideation before. I've done a lot of reporting as a journalist with people who have survived suicide attempts and of parents and partners of people who have uh, committed suicide. And and for me, it was a really interesting puzzle. What what is it about the human self? What is that thing that can force it to turn it Mm. against itself? And the one uh, commonality I was hearing again and again and again was was this idea of people having... Um, uh, overly high expectations mm. uh, for, for, for really expecting to have this kind of perfect amazing life and when they fail again and again and again that's when you start to see these really destructive behaviours and in fact I'm sure you're familiar with Professor, um, Sarah with uh, Roy Baumeister's work the, the kind of model of suicidality mm-hmm. and he's, you know, there's a very famous idea of what you know, causes people to get into that suicidal mode of thinking, and he talks about that, that, that exact thing. And then I spoke to this guy called Gordon Flett, who is a professor in Canada who studies perfectionism, and he said that, 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 there are, that there's something is changing in, in recent times. And he says, it's not that we're becoming more perfectionistic as people, but our environment is, mm. I, I, mm. I, is becoming fuller of um, ways of making us feel like failures. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways you, you, you can... Um, uh, what you describe perfectionism? Or a perfectionist is it's somebody that is overly sensitive to signals of failure in their environment. And what we've got in, in the current world is, is quite a harsh, hard, individualistic, neoliberal environment that that is kind of quite full of opportunities for us to feel like failures and that isn't just about selfies. it's about Mm -hmm. finding it hard to be a success in our careers finding it hard to kind of adhere to these um, you know know, to modern gender norms it could be trying hard to get you know to have the perfect body but it can also be you know Instagram you know they talk about Mm -hmm. this idea of perfectionist presentation Mm -hmm. uh, on social media now which which is an idea we all you know we all put our perfect lives on uh, uh, social media and of course I mean I know Mm -hmm. you've looked at that as well haven't you Sarah this idea that that even though we know other people are just putting these ridiculously perfect moments on Instagram, we know it's not real. It kind of feels real unconsciously and it kind of knocks us a bit. Well, I'm
2: fascinated by that. Obviously, we are surrounded by this idea of fake news and the Mm. fact that everything is doctored, everything is modified. Where is the truth? What is the (laughs) truth? Pandora, talk to us about the finster phenomenon. You briefly alluded to it, whereby even though people know it's a modified image... They don't care about the reality because and there's an amazing example of this in your book too, Will. That, you know, I won't say the word that she says, but you know, sod the mirror because oh, yes. the mirror's reality. <laughs> this is Instagram.
0: It can't yes. be real. Yeah, yeah. Is that your
1: case study, CJ? Yeah, I um, mean, she, yeah. Was, she was riveting. Um, yeah, I found when I spoke to teenage girl one teenage girl I spoke to said um I said but don't you mind if everyone knows you don't look like that and she said no that's the whole point everyone knows what you look like why wouldn't I put a picture up where I can look different um and I think, as, as well, I spoke to g- girls who had up to five different instagram accounts so they 'd have one that their parents knew about then they 'd have one for their <laughs> friends and then they 'd have one just for animal pictures and It was <laughs> extraordinary um, and a full time job as well from from the sounds of it <laughs> um, but I, um, but I think the, I think that the the fake and that the filter thing is is really interesting and that's part of the reasons why I find Instagram stories quite problematic because people like to use them because it's this unfiltered, like, um, on-the-go subtext to your life. But to me, I find them really scary because it just reminds me of The Truman Show that Mm -hmm. it's suggesting that everything is worthy of documentation, Mm -hmm. um, that everything should be technicolour and that we should aspire every day. Like, the average is you know, something that we absolutely can't bear. But then the irony is that all of these huge vloggers like Zoella, who have emerged out of YouTube, have emerged because they've been fetishizing the average. They're doing their shop, they're mm-hmm. eating yeah. dinner with their boyfriend, they're taking their dog for a walk, and that's what's getting the millions of views. So I think it is a slightly odd spiral where we've got Instagram stories because you can only share perfect moments on your Instagram, which is not something I believe in. It's why I don't do Instagram stories because that idea of the curatorial I find quite scary. But, and then, you, but then you've also got this whole other medium where you're like allowed to enjoy the average because it's not okay over here anymore. Well, um, it seems exhaustive.
2: A big trending thing on Instagram today. Are there any mums in the room? Any sort of my generation, you know, with toddlers in the room? No, you're all far too young. And uh, <laughs> but, but something that was big on Instagram today was a reaction to a Daily Mail story in which there had been... Uh, abuse against scummy mummies, the idea that you feed your kids fish fingers for tea and then maybe have a little glass of wine at the same time. Not that I'm guilty of that, obviously. Um, and what had happened yes, was that exactly. a, lot of, a lot of very, a lot of very uh, influential mum Instagrammers or Instagrammers who are human, who just happen to have children and be female and their mothers, um, they, uh, I don't know what the correct terminology is anymore. It's definitely not Insta mums, I didn't say that. They fought back. <laughs> And the whole thing, they made a little video with Birdseye as it happened um, to, say, to basically say for all the 5 p.m. pepper Pig meltdowns, for all the, you know, gins consumed whilst feeding the kids, for all of this stuff, we're real. We're here for you. This is solidarity, sisters. You know, this is what we really look like and this is what we really do. And I suppose the flip side of the social media phenomenon is that there is a role that it can play for making people feel better about themselves and actually saying this isn't uncurated. But but the layers of artifice are genuinely staggering because that's not any more real than you know emily Ratajkowski or, or kim kardashian or, or cj yeah. doctoring 400 pictures a night yeah. to yeah. get the perfect
3: selfie yeah which was yeah i mean yeah yeah i mean yeah yeah absolutely yeah i mean I, I, but i think that's interesting because i think that, that that phenomenon you describe on instagram today there's also a flip side of that too and you know i said at the beginning the kind of the selfie world goes back two and a half thousand years but really you can go back even further if you're looking at social media more broadly and that's You know, to our evolutionary history, and we've spent you know most of our time here on Earth as a tribal hunter-gatherer creature. You know, we are animals, we are apes, and, and we still think in those very tribal ways. And one of the one one of the things it means to be a human is to be tribal. And one of the things that we have in common with chimpanzees, who are, you know, along with Bonobo's one of our closest relatives, is that we are tribal and we attack other groups. And, and, and the one thing you see on social media, I mean, social media is a sort of very new, bright, shiny phenomenon, but it's actually working on very, very ancient mm. and quite dangerous circuits. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, so, so one of the things it means, well, two things. One thing that, that's, for, that's, um, that's true in, in, in primate tribes is there's a fluid hierarchy. So who's, who's the leader is, is, is always going up and down. And, in fact, in chimp tribes, it's four to five years they're at the... At the top, and as we see that echoed in our electoral cycle, Um, but what that means is that we're constantly uh, alert of status. We're constantly worried about our relative status to everybody else, and and, and so that we see that playing out on social media. But we also see the idea of one—you know—we live in 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 in-groups, and I mean, I wasn't aware of the thing today, but you know, that's our in-group, the mums uh, attacking the Daily Mail at the out-group. So, so you know, it feels great when it's people on our side. Mm. But, you know, one of the people who, you know, passed away, who I talk about in the first chapter of the book, is poor old Phoebe Connop, who is 18, and shared a picture privately on uh, social media. And I don't know what the picture was, but she was worried she would have, she appeared as a racist. This picture escaped, and she committed suicide. She's 18 years old. So that's, that's the dark side of this same phenomenon. Is it is it, is it is it plays with these very dangerous and powerful hmm. kind of tribal instincts we have.
2: Sarah, you're nodding vigorously there. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does that no. tally with your research, your academic research into Uh, psychology yeah because I think it uh,
4: demonstrates very well that the needs people have they have always been the same so it has always been important for people to get recognition by others to compare themselves but nowadays with social media the challenge is much bigger because you can compare yourself to the rest of the world and there will always be someone who's better in something of course you don't get average uh, insights, but very selective, high polished <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, views on the lives of others. So it's necessarily, you you will get the impression that others are better, happier than yourself. And so I think the selfie is yeah, just like the, the peak of the iceberg and it's uh, really taking this self-control and the, the urge to Show a perfect image of yourself, um, yeah to, to the top, because already in the moment you're taking the photo, you have the control, uh, and yeah,
2: is there an argument though to say that actually human beings have been doctoring their own image for six thousand years? I mean we know that the earliest cosmetics go right back to millennia. Pandora, I'd be interested. I'm coming to you, Alex, as well. I've got
5: got to take notes, because there's quite a few (laughs) things here I'd like to jump um, in on.
2: But that idea that actually, you know, we're used to airbrushing in glossy magazines, we're used to even, you know, the 1940s, the first era of the kind of moving image, and and movie stars, you know, we we Vaseline on the lens, or tights over the lens, or whatever it might be. There have been moves to enhance the way we look for whatever reason and a complicated litany of reasons for so long what's the difference what's what makes it more nefarious and more dangerous that instagram or finstagram has this kind of fake element to it when actually you could say well i'm wearing mascara today i don't really look like this i've got a bit of blusher
1: on my you know what, what, how much
2: more dangerous is it
1: i think one of the reasons why we feel like we find it much more problematic is because in popular culture now, there are much more discussions happening around identity. We, whether it's gender identity or sexual identity, we spend a lot of time identifying. And, you know, some psychologists say that, for me, for example, as a child of the baby boomer generation, we were encouraged to self-express and self-identify all over the shop. Um, And I think a lot of the time you're seeing the output generationally of a, a, a generation encouraged to express. Um, I think when you think about how you portray yourself and how it is consumed by other people um, or viewed by other people is... Two words always come to mind, I think, and that's where they can be in friction, is that it's both empowering and exploitative. So an American psychologist called Pamela Rutledge described Kim Kardashian's uh, selfies as empowering for her but exploitative of her audience. Mm-hmm. And I think that's... I mean, it comes back, to bring it back to feminism, about the individual choice versus the, the collective benefit, is that... In that moment, I think a selfie could be quite empowering. You know, there's nothing wrong with sharing, or at least I don't think it is if there's anything wrong in sharing a picture where you feel good. You know, you want to preserve that moment, and and there it goes up. But the ramifications that it can have on other people are are obviously immeasurable. Um, In terms of... What I do find funny is when people, like you say, talk about kind of retouching and stuff like this now, because there have always been aspirational things to make women feel... I don't want to spare rubbish about themselves. Um, you know, Audrey Hepburn looking e- exceptional and also very, very thin, possibly and probably thin for most women in films. Marilyn Monroe, who we actually know had a really unhappy time for most of her film career, but you know was the pinup that everyone wanted to look like, the dream woman that inhabited herself. And I think that's what we'll always struggle with: is, is the woman inhabiting herself versus how you are interpreting that on. And the, also the
2: movie stars who are helped in all manner of ways to present a certain aspect of themselves that most ordinary women can't aspire to either physiologically or financially or surgically, it be. Or surgically. <laughs> indeed uh, the whole belfie thing and apparently that the, the rise of um, buttock extensions or buttock enlargements
1: every 30 minutes in the US there's a bum implant <laughs> there <Jesus>. you go <laughs> that's from the Sunday
2: Times. so time that questions. means that uh, there have been two since we just sat down How did that make your um, uh, buttock Alex, every 15 minutes I want to bring you and I want to pick up on something that Pandora said about Instagram stories and this idea that Everything is worth documenting. You are a documentary photographer.
5: One what are your word that keeps, on that? One word that just keeps coming back in my mind every time I hear the word "selfie" because this is the, m- the most I've actually heard it. I mean, we kept, we're saying it every two seconds. <laughs> what well, actually comes? Kind of, no offense to anybody who's talking, but the idea of it it just keeps saying selfish. That's all I'm thinking is selfish, selfish, selfish. When we think about how am I going to look, I'm going to retouch myself. It all comes back to that message. I think that the idea, um, I think selfie culture at the moment is propagated by a number of things. The, um, our obsession with fame, which is highly corrosive to, to, to all of us, you know, the, and, and um, the media's constant um, proliferation of um, bad photography, bad selfies that we're constantly seeing. Um, I think when we get beyond and we start to, I mean, obviously I come from an art background, so I critique selfies. I critique all types of photography. Just because there's an over-proliferation of a certain image doesn't make it a good image. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's time for people to evolve beyond the infantile stage that we're at with um, what selfies are and what they mean to us selfishly and how they're corroding us. And it's time for artists to come in and say, hey, I'm going to use this selfie for something good. And I'm going to use the same ideology. I'm going to, it's going to still be a selfie, but the message is going to be different. And that, So I'm not um, as pessimistic, I, I, I'd like to think. I'm, I'm an optimist in just saying that we're in this stage right now where because we're so obsessed with the fame, and that's going to be a bubble that's going to burst, and it's going to burst very quickly because things move. So I think things are moving really fast. I think when I say quickly, I don't know, five, ten years, there's going to be a complete turnaround on it. You see on Instagram... Um, influencers with over a million followers are worthless because they have no um, connection with anybody. A lot of brands are now looking for people even under 10,000 or even un- under 5,000 followers because they have a lot more connection. There's a lot more integrity in the posts that they're doing. There's a little bit more of a personal connection there um, in certain circles. And, and, you know, someone can correct me if I'm wrong on that. And I think that it's going to happen quicker than, than, than people realise. And that, that bubble will burst and photographers will step up or, or artists will step up and use... Um, this medium to do something good and to do something great. And the message is going to change. But the selfie will be the same. I just feel there might
2: be generations of younger uh, digital users, digital natives who are like, well, hang on a minute. If If I take a photograph on my phone and it gets 10 million likes, why do you get to decide whether that's art or not?
5: You're not saying that it's art. It's only art if you say it is. You know. Let's let's go back to that one, and, and, uh, and that's been said so many times. So I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not here to, to requote someone. But um, what I come back to is the benevolence of art. You know, street photography, um, traditional forms of art, art photography, came out um, out of compassionate and benevolent means by artists to show other people the world to share, not to say, look at how great I am. Yeah. And the selfies that we're seeing, the ones that we seem to be talking about now, and I hope you know, and I'm, and I'm happy to talk, keep talking about them. But I, I kind of believe that there's a lot more in store for selfies. And when you walk around the exhibition downstairs, mm. that's a, apparently evident. You know, Inclu- it really there's not. I didn't see one down there where I went. Oh, look at this poor knob who's just sitting there, wanting me to look at how pretty she is. There's a lot of expression there. There's a lot of artists that have made yeah. an effort. And I think that it's time for the audience, and, and not this audience. I mean, us as an audience to become more educated and become better consumers and know what we're looking at, rather than just go, oh, what a bimbo, or what are this, or what are that. So I, I, to I do think do the
3: point, um, for me, I'm always thinking about the, 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 the selfie bubble bursting. And I think definitely, I think, you know, we always see it, the, these things in cycles, that the more fashionable things become, the more unfashionable then they become when the children of the people who um, in, endorse that thing um, uh, grow up. But, but I think one of the sort of really interesting ideas that I came upon when I was researching my book was this idea? They call it the geography of thought that comes out of um, psychology, and that says that kind of who we are is very much a product of you know initially ecology, but then economy. So the the reason that we became individualists uh, back when in ancient Greece was because um, of the ecology. Of the, the, the ancient Greece is just a you know civilization of a, a thousand different city states. And um, it's all kind of mountains descending to sea and rocky islands. So to get along and get ahead in ancient Greece, you have to be an individual. You have to run a tiny industry. You have to hustle. You have to fish. You have to make olive oil. You've got to be a hustler. And and then from that comes this kind of um, adoration of the individual, this kind of worship of the individual. And we still carry that kind of with us today. And the really interesting point, I think, in our recent history was in 1980, when after the kind of economic chaos of the 70s, um, you know, Thatcher and Reagan come along with this, you know, to, to promote this idea of neoliberalism. So, okay, we're going to make uh, human life into this great competition, like the Hunger Games. So, get rid of the unions, get rid of all the red tape. That means that companies and the welfare state have to look after people. Go, you're in competition now. And then very quickly, we start seeing really interesting things happening. So, you know, 1980s when the Keep Fit revolution first begins, which has never left us. You know, Jim Fix in America, the green goddess over here. In 1982, you start seeing this, this thing in maternity wards where parents, for, for generations, have given their children names like Arthur and Jennifer and Elizabeth. Suddenly, you, you see the beginnings of all this, um, of unusual names. Um, it was Professor Jean Twenge who studies a uh, very famous psychologist in America who studies the rise of narcissism. because um, uh, she, she, she revealed all this stuff in her work and she said you know, her reason for that was these parents wanted their children to stand out and be a star. So you know, if, if who we had to be in ancient Greece to get along and get ahead was a hustler, That happens, too, again, in a much more concentrated way in 1980, and it it never leaves us. And the other thing that happens in the 80s is is it's the the beginning of the self-esteem movement. And what the self-esteem movement did was it changed the way we raised our children. It changed the way we taught our children. And it was this crazy idea that in order to, to make more competitive young people to compete in the neoliberal game in order to make them happy and successful they just had to believe they were amazing and as parents we had to tell them they were amazing yeah, and as Sandra children Roo's tell them yeah. they were amazing
1: how, how did that work
2: on your self esteem it, it was a
3: disaster because I, I was a terrible kid I was a nightmare I was like I failed all my exams I was an alcoholic I got in trouble with the police and you know I was in therapy in my 20s and in therapy they said that was because your parents didn't love you you got low mm. self esteem and I believed all this stuff and it was only a few years ago when I came across Baumeister's work which kind of said that Actually, this is all wrong, <laughs> you know. None of this is right, actually. It's really, you know, um, the, I, that's what triggered the book because I thought this is insane, you know, this is insane that I've been brought up with this kind of mad idea. And I think the, the interesting thing about the technology is I don't think that technology has changed really anything. Mm. What the technology has done is, is exposed who we are already. So when they launched the selfie camera in 2010, it wasn't called the selfie camera. It was called the front-facing camera. And, and the idea was that it was going to be good for Skype and FaceTime. We were going to talk to our nans yeah. in Italy. Little as we know. that's not what we did with it. <laughs> you know, and I think, so so I, think, I think the bubble will burst, but I think, it's going to, I, I think the roots of this are deep. And they're in our economy. So it's going to be a long change.
2: How universal are they? I'm very conscious that we're sitting here in the heart of Chelsea. We're having this conversation. <laughs> you know, we're all of a certain... You know, pr- presumably class and background, give
3: or take. Give or take.
2: What sort of differences do we see culturally when it comes to selfie? Because it clearly is a, uni- a ubiquitous phenomenon. It's not just Western society. And you know, In fact, I read that Philippine is the selfie capital of the world. Basically. The Philippines yeah. uh, is the self- selfie yeah. capital of the world. Sarah, perhaps you can talk to us about what you've seen in your research and how selfies work in different cultures well first um
4: I, I would, uh, if it's okay just to jump up on this uh, aspect because i think the really important thing is that um it's the the technology is is just a new way a, a new medium and uh, then you have this self intensifying process that for example uh, a need like uh, popularity becomes Comes to the fore, and then you, yeah, can get addicted to this in a way because you have this new opportunity, which is very fast um, to, yeah, get get feedback from others. But on the same time, you, uh, yeah, get more vulnerable because you. Could get negative feedback as well, and I, I think if you under, understand this, then it absolutely makes sense that yeah, I like really like your en- encouraging statement that uh, we we can see selfies also as a form of art and we can make much more of it. Um, so, but the the challenge is really for people to have this conscious reflection, which are my needs and which is a medium that I can use to, to fulfill this. And um, yeah, whether, whether the selfie is always the best form <laughs> yeah. for each message, uh, yeah, you should discuss about this. And um, coming back to the question about different cultures, um, there are actually some studies uh, in, in the, yeah, for example, in um, in Asia that uh, studied selfie motivations there, and also here um, uh, in in Germany we we did some studies, and what we found there was quite interesting that there are different um, needs or functions related to it. So that in some cultures, Asian cultures, it's more on this connective part like we are doing a selfie together and we are um celebrating us being together uh, and yeah what we found (laughs) was more this uh, self-presentational individual part so that's extraordinary because
3: i mean part of the part of what i do in self is i is i compare ancient greek individualist ideas to east asian confucian Mm -hmm. ideas and of course In, in ancient Greece... We were it's individual. a very
2: learned but yes. You thought it was going to be filled with yeah. selfies.
3: Uh, and so, so, so the opposite of ancient Greece was, in, in a sense, East Asia, where, they, where it wasn't lots of mountains rolling to sea it was great sort of low-lying plains and mountains and so to get along and get ahead in in, in east asia you had to be involved in a major irrigation project a major rice farming mm-hmm. project so the group becomes most important yeah. and yeah. it's fascinating i didn't know i wish i knew i would be a bit of my book that, that, that <laughs> even in asia that reflects in the selfies they take yeah. that it's all yeah, part of the group you, you can see I that it. in tokyo
1: though when i was in tokyo a few months ago there's a lot of when they take selfies. It's that whole trope of all the schoolgirls taking yeah, selfies I together. I didn't see one person taking one on, mm. so
5: on that's their awesome. own. That's, yeah, that's, it's pretty, that's like, I was when I was going through the exhibition, yes. <laughs> there were so many of the group selfies, and they're the ones that I connected with the most, or I felt... Mm-hmm. Just yeah. much. Yeah. It's it just made me feel really warm. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah.
4: And so I think that w- where it comes back, that you see, it's not the selfie or the medium. It's really what you make out of it. And yeah, um, yeah. yeah,
2: absolutely. I just worry that we're very lazy, though. And if there's a button that helps with your depth of field, then you click the button. <laughs> if there's a filter that does it for you, you'll click the filter. Yeah. You won't then take it offline and, and necessarily. Well, well if, it, if, you, if that was the might. case, then
5: people could just go and take my job as a photographer and push that button. and It's still. It's still always going to be that there certainly is. and, and I, it's the intention that you know, I, I say I want to do it
2: just to bring us back to the fact that we're here in this gallery the Saatchi Gallery is the world's number one museum on social media and I'm fascinated by as we heard at the beginning you know, this is the first time that the selfie has been put on walls in the same way that old masters are and that it's treated as a credible viable important art form and I'm just wondering what your thoughts are just to wrap us up before we open it out to the audience on on the role of exhibitions like this and the importance of capturing what is such a prevalent social, cultural zeitgeist on the walls of an art institution. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I think it's incredibly interesting because it's so accessible in how you can relate it to what we're talking about in popular culture. I love that it's... I like any kind of fusion of lowbrow and or things that are deemed to be lowbrow and highbrow so you know there's those guys that had wrapped up their faces in sellotape and taken a ridiculous selfie it's literally my favorite or the man that made himself look like jesus you know and that's something that would be seen as like a joke or a meme or something or to say nothing of
2: the woman who goes into air air, airline toilets and makes herself look like a quaker or a nun with like (laughs) (laughs) airline pillows and loo paper which is genius of a sort. <laughs> it was Who
1: something knew? that seemed to be seen as quite gimmicky or ephemeral, so I, I like seeing it aligned with Tracy Emmen and Van Gogh and yeah. being able to appreciate it as a big movement because I think people can be dismissive or quite narrow-minded about this is what this is, and I always enjoy when someone just goes, no, let's throw it all into the same and see how they all connect. And Van Gogh, of course, in his day was not exactly appreciated for the artist that he is now.
2: Sarah, what are your thoughts? I I think it's great to have such exhibitions
4: or generally to to bring this medium to the fore because you really see the, the different perspectives and the different forms selfies can take. And in a way, I think it also reveals some of the critical effects because it, it, it displays you, you see some selfies here as well where you can can see some yeah, um, like you really see that people are dedicating all their life to to selfies to um, making up the perfect image in some social media um, yeah but anyway it, it uh, inspires reflection and that I think is, is what you need to be happy in, in such a Culture,
2: yeah. And well, apart from being an excellently well-timed vehicle for your book, uh, as yeah. a sort of a compliment, <laughs> happy days. But what are your thoughts on yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm dedicating? Yeah, I us I <laughs> sort
3: of take it sort of back to Alex's point, really. I think the good thing about all this is it's going to, you know, it, it, it's going to, it's kind of democratizes photography. I mean, you know, photography is an amazing art form. I'm one of these terrible amateur photographers. You know, when I used to go on holiday with my wife, I she used to get to tell me off you oh, like you taking too many pictures. Oh God. You know, and now it's the other way around. Now she's taking all these mm-hmm. pictures. And I think it, it is. I think we're going to get, a, a, you know, a really exciting new generation of photographers now who are going to hopefully maybe graduate from the selfie and go on to become really important and amazing photographers. You know, so, you, you know, you don't need to spend 10 grand on Lycra anymore if we've got one in your pocket, do you? And I think that's the really exciting thing about what we're seeing around us.
6: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
2: Wonderful. Well, thank you all. We're going to throw it open to you guys now. And I think there are some roving microphones and maybe we'll get the lights up if possible. Um, Anyone have a question for our panel, either to an individual or to the panel in general? Yeah, please, if you could stand and you can introduce yourself as well if you'd like
3: but you don't have to. Do we, you? want yeah, we, we want your Instagram
1: Yeah, we want your Instagram handle. Uh, I'm, uh, hi, I'm Nikita. I won't give up my Instagram. Um, how much do you think sort of, selfies are just a desperate need for us to have control of our self-image? You, you talked about it before, how we are, we're not who we perceive ourselves to be. We're rather what people think of us. That's, our perception of ourselves is based on what people think of us. So you've got cases of, like, uh, Beyonce she has been seen to uh, Photoshop some of her Instagram photos of her own selfies. And there was also the case of that photo of her
6: at a concert that she wanted to remove off the internet because it was very unflattering. So how much is this sort of selfie
1: craze, just this desperate want to control other people's impressions of ourselves and therefore our definition of ourselves?
5: Can I take that one? Mm. Just the, yeah, I'm to take ourselves. <laughs> I actually have experience with that... Um, I won't go into too much detail because I don't want the person to know that I'm talking about them, but I've taken photos of somebody as, as a photographer and realised that they had a self-image of which they um, prefer of themselves, which I was unable to take. And what she would then do is take a selfie of herself in the outfit or whatever she, we, we were doing, and then that would be the image that she really liked. And it's quite interesting that you're saying, and it's a really good paradigm, that it's the control of output you can't control the photo that somebody else externally takes of you but the selfie does give you that control to give that image that you have I mean it's like the mirror face that we pull you know it's almost impossible for anyone to try on shoes and not pull a face when they look in the mirror yeah. mm. I mean I do it and, I, and every time I'm like why am I doing that and I've been doing it for, you know and I think that the selfie the way you're discussing it is is kind of that phenomenon mm. ex- exacerbated Yeah.
2: give us his shoe face Alex
5: no, that's not it. Is. No, I have, to, you know, I have to look at it to see what it is. I don't actually know what it is. If I did, then I'd pull that face when someone's taking a photo of me. There's a really interesting um, um, experiment, one of my favourite experiments from social psychology,
3: and they did this thing where they, um, they tested people, and um, so they took your picture, a genuine picture of you, and then they took, a, they took a picture of a really good-looking person and a really unattractive person, and they slowly blend it. Mm-hmm. And then, and then so there's a series of pictures, One of you, and there's, these you're getting gradually better-looking, and these are getting gradually uglier. And then they ask people, which one is the real picture? And they tend to go 10 to 15% better looking mm. <laughs> than yeah. they actually are.
4: But, <laughs> I mean, that's the, the normal effect, because we, of course, um, surround us with pictures of us where we are extremely good-looking. Yes, exactly. So yeah, only those a, ones. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, we think we're... Yeah, it's extraordinary.
4: But I, I what think we actually <laughs> look like, which is yeah. terrifying.
3: Yeah, we Do always you, say, that's a bad picture of me. People go, no, that's actually... Just that's what you. you look like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to the control
4: <laughs> question, I think, um, of course, it's the n- desperate need for control, but in the end, we cannot control the impressions we have on others. So hmm. that's
6: where it comes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are there any other questions?
2: There's uh, one at the back there, and I think we've got another mic.
6: Hi, all the way in the back. <laughs> Hi. Uh, um, really interesting last bit, like um, where you guys started talking about the more ethical, like is it good, is it bad, selfie. I thought that was super interesting because I've never really been confronted or heard anyone ask that question. I think one of the reasons is because, I don't know if you agree, but I feel like we all live in public in the sense that we're all our own mini broadcast stations. No one really bothers, no one under the age of 16 bothers to watch that much TV anymore. Um, Everyone is just constantly... Snapchat, Instagram, Tumblr, Facebook, we are essentially a broadcasting station to our viewers. And most of us have a couple hundred people following us. Some people get a couple thousand, you know, and then if you start making money, you know, you understand what I mean? So my question basically is, don't you think selfies are just an organic extension of that Uh, thing? uh, You You have a baby, you take a picture, everything you do, you broadcast it, so...
3: Wouldn't I'm, that be true? For me, what you, what, what you describe sounds. I mean, in, in the book, I talk about this idea of the neoliberal self, and it's just an extension of this idea that we kind of become our economy. Uh, in a way, and there was, I found this really sinister quote from Margaret Thatcher in 1981, so she was being interviewed.
2: Margaret Thatcher? Yeah. Sinister? Surely
3: <laughs> not. <laughs> but the Sunday Times, and they were like, so what are you going to do, Maggie? I don't know if that's the exact question, I'm paraphrasing. And she said, oh, you know, what, what annoys me about our, um, uh, our, you know, uh, our, our government and our society for the last 30 years has been very collective. And uh, she said, I want to change that, I want to bring some kind of individualism back. And the exact quote was, the method is, e- is economics, but the object is to change the soul. And I found that sinister because that's kind of what's happened. You know, she wanted to turn us all into these little islands of profit and, you know, just like these ancient Greek, um, you know, individualistic, entrepreneurial people. And that's what we've become. You know, my wife edits Cosmopolitan magazine. And, you know, she says that one of the defining um, facets of her young female readers is they all want to be entrepreneurs. Mm. They all want to be mm. business people. And, 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 I th- and I think that's part of it. And, and that, that manifests on social media that we all want to be... A, we're not people anymore. We become our own brands. Mm. And we, 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 we kind of treat ourselves in as that, in that, in, like small businesses in a way. And that's, that's that kind of neoliberal self, I think, bubbling to the surface.
2: And it's also a reality that... Millennials, just for want of a lazy term, but grouping together, have to. I mean, you talked about they having have to be to. a hustler. Yeah. This is in not a judgment, they Greece. have to. This they is have reality. This is who they have I mean, to be. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Pandora, right.
2: you know, speaking of that generation uh, and someone who is a brand, you are your own brand. You're an incredibly successful journalist and consultant and all the other things, but you are also a brand in yourself. How do you
1: respond to that? It is. It's. It's a terrible modern phenomenon. The brand, isn't it? Like content. I think they just. No, you know that and those words. <laughs> no, no. But as in, it's. It's. You know. It's true. You always have people go. Oh, I need to get content, or that's. That's not on brand, or brand alignment, or any of that. Um, and it's. It's all pretty awful. But you're right. But the labels exist for a reason. Um, I think on the hustler. note, and Will's saying we, you have to be definitely as a journalist who is thirty rather than don't know, forty-five or fifty, so a generation older. Um, I'm not saying any of you <laughs> I'm at a any millennial. ages. <laughs> just if I was a journalist who was forty-five or fifty, and is that there? You have to be doing more than one thing. You cannot make very much money as if you are just doing one thing. You know, I I adore print journalism as much as I do uh, digital. But there is increasingly less money. You hear of magazines folding and combining yeah. weekly. Yeah. Um, so you have to also exist online as well. And you have to think, how can, I, how can I do the work I do and talk about what I'm interested in on different formats, which is why I started a podcast, um, because we're in quite an audio phase at the moment. Um, but yeah, definitely, I think, I think you... You have to hustle and you have to be in that sense, depressingly quite individualistic. I still find it terrifying how many people are setting up businesses because you know 90% of startups fail. Mm. But I also think it's really encouraging that we are now definitely, probably sometimes to the detriment and slightly unrealistically, but you're very much encouraged to, you know, find your USP. It's all acronyms now. Find your USP, <laughs> take your MO. Let's get another yeah. question from the floor here. Thank you very much for your patience. Um, I'd be
6: curious to hear what you have to say about vlogging, because vlogging in of itself is like selfie in long form with high production value, and it's very much... In
1: a way, you could say narcissistic because it is about the person and their lives. I'd be curious to hear what you think how that's going to go because it is something that's growing mm-hmm. massively on YouTube
2: vlogging. Goes back to that idea that we're all just mini broadcasting stations. Any thoughts? Will yeah,
3: yeah, uh, yeah. I actually was recently in YouTube's sort of vlogging HQ in some, near some St. Pancras Station in in London. And again, you know, going back, going back to the idea of kind of neoliberalism again. I mean, it's, I think I think I think one of the things that sort of worried me about that whole scene was that, you know, back in the day, in the good old days, if you wanted to be a TV presenter, you, you'd get an agent, a big structure of people around you, you'd get paid really well, um, etc. And now what, what I was seeing with these vloggers is that, is, that, is that they have to do it all themselves, that the hair and makeup they have to work, learn how to be a director, they have to, you know, develop all their own content. And I was talking to one um, young woman in particular, like really talented young woman, she had zillions of followers on YouTube. And you can't even get into this place unless you have 10,000 subscribers. That's the minimum requirement. And then you get more and more time in their studios, depending on how many. And she was one of their sort of big stars. And she, she, she was a musician. Um, and, and I was just there, just with the assumption she was massively successful and probably really rich. And then it slipped out that she lives with her dad. And I said, so why are you living with your dad? And she went, you don't make much money, you know. And I was like, do you not? And she said, no. These days, um, you know, you have to become famous before you get the record deal. Like Whereas, whereas you know, 20 years ago you'd get a record deal. I had friends that I grew up with who got a quarter of a million quid.
2: We've got time for only for one or two more questions here in the nearly the front. Thank you. Um,
6: hi. The, there's one theme that keep, constantly comes up to me when I think of um, selfie and social media is surveillance. So for me, social media is almost like a manifestation of Bentham's panopticon uh, prison system where we're incarcerating ourso- ourselves in constant surveillance. I'm surveilling myself, I'm surveilling you, everyone's surveilling us. So do you think the obsession with self-fashioning is more of like... is more of um, of a desperate expression of the, uh, uh, self-expression in fear of anonymity, like Miss Pandora said, in World Full of Noise, or... Is it more of people seeking external confirmation that they are, they are a valid
2: part of their chosen in group? That's a very, very good question. I'm going to throw it to you, Sarah, first to give the sort of psychologist's take. Yeah, I, I,
4: this is part of it. Um, nice. We, we did some uh, studies where we also uh, explored the relations between the um, individual strategies that people use for self-presentation just in a general way and selfie-taking. And what we found was that um, people who score high on self-promotion, which means um, for them a usual strategy to, to present themselves is talk about their benefits, their positive attributes, those are also very active selfie takers and are feeling good while taking selfies, but also people um, who are type of uh, self-disclosure, so who really show their emotions um, as a way to get positive feedback from others, to be liked by others, and I think this control aspect could, could also be some of this. So I think there's not the one reason why we take selfies, but there's that's definitely part of it and I, I think this is also the, the big challenge then to see whether yeah the way you use selfies are really feeding what, what you need um, and also the, the question we had before um, whether it's art or it's self-presentation or what it is I think it's often a, a mixture of different uh, needs that come together and but but you just have to be aware that the um, goal you have in mind, for example, like making a perfect impression on others or being liked by others, this is maybe not what you will get because the um, picture will be perceived
2: different than you expect. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to have to wrap things up. We're just thinking about answering human needs. One of the uh, extraordinary pieces of data that I found when I was researching this was that the the more selfies you take, the amount of selfies you take is in sort of direct proportion to how little sex you have. So the more selfies you have, you take, the less sex you have, which, go ponder, people. Uh, Thank you so much to our wonderful panel, Will Straw, Sarah Diefenbach, Pandora Sykes, and Alex Lambrecht. I wanted to point out that all of the proceeds from tonight's event are going to be donated to the British Red Cross's London Fire Relief Fund. That's supporting people who've been injured, bereaved or left homeless by the Grenfell Tower disaster, which of course took place in this very borough. So thank you all for being here and contributing to that. Thank you ever so much for being here and have a lovely rest of your night.